Lord, we ask you to bless this time as we look at your word. Guide and lead us. Show us what you would want us to see as we go through your word. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Jeremiah chapter 17, starting at verse 1. The sin of Judah is written with an iron, a pen of iron and with a, point, with a point of diamond. It is graven upon the table of their heart and upon the horns of your altars. While your children remember their altars and their groves by the green trees upon the high hills. O oh, my mountain in the field, I will give my substance and all my treasure to the spoil and your high places for sin throughout all your borders. And you, even yourself, shall discontinue from your heritage that I gave you, and I will cause you to serve your enemies in the land which you know not, for you have kindled a fire of my vengeance which shall burn forever. So here we are with God talking to the people and saying, judgment's coming. Now, one thing I have a hard time with Jeremiah is that it's a very harsh book. Jeremiah, you know, laments a lot, and a lot of this is all about judgment. Now, he's got some good things every once in a while, but mostly it's a book of judgment. So going verse by verse through this verse, is, you know, this book is a little hard. But he says, the sins of Judah are written with a pen of iron and a point of diamond and is graven upon the tablet of their heart and upon the thorns, horns of their altars. So here we have ridden. You know, it's kind of interesting. The heart we know is supposed to be soft, but he's talking about a hard heart. He says God is using a pen with an iron pen with a diamond tip to write on your heart. And this iron tip and the pen it's talking about is one that would be used to you know, engrave into stone or metal. So this is a pretty hard heart that he's talking. He goes, I am writing on your hard heart. And what is he writing? The sins. And this is kind of an interesting thing. God writes their sins upon their heart. So that when they stand before God, he goes, here, 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 here is where you've been disobedient. And this is something that's very interesting. And you know, it is graven on the table of their heart and upon the horns of their altar. Now, the idea of this is the altars had these little horns, and the altar of God, God even had these horns. And every once in a while, you read that somebody gets into the temple and grabs hold of the horns. And this basically was saying, I, I plead mercy. You know, I made it to the temple. I want to have a trial. <laughs> I want to get grace. And you see that usually they would get grace on that because uh, they made it to the temple. And so he says, they grab the horns of their altars, and not God's altars, the altars of their people, looking for God's mercy and grace upon them. And this is something that is so interesting because they don't do it God's way. And, you know, if you get to talk to people that aren't, aren't a Christian and talk to them over and over again, you know, you'll hear things like, well, I hope I'm saved, I hope I make it. I hope my good is good. Good is bad. God will God will judge me by my intentions, not by what I do, because He's a really good God, and He would never, never send somebody to hell that doesn't do things His way. Uh, and all these things that they tell you, they're grabbing by the power of their own altars. So were, were they literally like, like pagan altars, or just their, their pagan altars? 
pagan altars. But the same thing. They're grabbing what they think is true rather than God. All right, so power, the horns of the power of, uh, in this case, probably legitimately, they were running to their altars and grabbing hold of those altars. But in our day, it would be more going and grabbing what they believe to be true. Humanism, uh, the whole idea that God is, you know, so loving, so kind, he would never send somebody to hell. I'm going to grab hold of that and I'm going to believe it. This is what I'm going to grab hold. Well, wonderful, you're going to hell. All right. Uh, you're not grabbing hold of what God says to be true. And, you know, this was most likely literal to a degree. But it all is also that idea that they're grabbing on to lies. All right. And even today, we've got all kinds of people who are grabbing lies and trying to depend on it. The whole lie of evolution as opposed to God creating everything. And we see this over and over, all the stuff that goes on here. And then verse 2 says, While their children remember their altars and their groves by the green trees upon the high hills. So he says, your, your children are just grabbing hold of their altars. And again, remember when you see the word their groves or groves, most of the time in the scripture, that is referring to the astoral worship. All right. Astora was a totem pole with exaggerated female and male parts because it was a fertility, fertility god. And so they would, and the way they worshipped it was to have orgies in front of the pole. And then they would have this grove of trees around that, around that pole so that these trees would create a circle so that they had semi-privacy for their orgies. Uh, so when you see that term, in most cases, it is going to refer to the worship of Astoroth. All right, so he says they go to their altars, their, their totem to worship, and again, they're forgetting God. And over and over again, Israel forgot God. And remember, the kings that Jeremiah is preaching to, from Josiah, which is the last good king, through the four bad kings <laughs> after Josiah, so he is preaching a lot of doom and destruction. God, God's judgment is coming. But you've got to imagine that some of these kings went for 11, and, you know, 11 years and 11 years and several months. So he's preaching for some 22 to 30 years that judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. And most people are looking at him. Yeah, well, how long are you going to be saying judgment's coming? Still yeah, well, we're still hearing it. The, the tribulation's coming, Jesus is coming soon. Yeah, well, you've been saying that for 2,000 years, you know, and it hasn't come, so we're not really willing to listen to you. And I understand where they're coming from, but it does show God's mercy that he's allowed it to go this long. And frankly, I'm glad that it's taken him this long for some places because I've got family members that aren't saved yet. Uh, I'm glad that he didn't do it, uh, let's say, 54 years ago. Because I wasn't saved 54 years ago. I was saved 52 years ago. So if he had come back 54 years ago or 56 years ago or even 60 years ago, I'd have been in trouble. So I am glad that he had waited as long as he did. So I am happy for some of this. I'm happy that I'm getting time to be able to witness to other family members and get the truth and, of God out. Now, would I like him to come anytime? Yeah, yes, I'm looking forward to going to heaven and being done with this earth. All right? 
So this is what was happening in Jeremiah's day. God's bringing judgment. All right, Jeremiah, you've been saying that since Josiah's day. You've been saying that since Zedekiah's day. You've been saying that since Jehoiakim's day. You've been saying that since Jehoiachin's day. You've been saying that since Zedekiah. You know, how long do you expect us to believe what you're saying? And can you imagine what that would be like? God says, tell them the judgment's coming. <laughs> judgment's coming. Uh-huh, yeah, right. Think about Noah. For 120 years, Noah builds a boat and preaches that judgment's coming. 120 years. Judgment's coming. All right, why? What's God going to do? God's going to send rain. What's rain? That's water coming down from the sky and the, and everything's going to, and the water is going to flood everything. You, you are nuts. This stuff has never happened. Why would you even say this stuff? And so you've got all of this process going on and for 120 years, nobody is listening to it. And then the rains came. God says, Noah, get in the boat with your family. And God shuts the door. Why did God shut the door? Well, because people would have been knocking on that door as soon as the rain started coming. Uh, what's the stuff coming? This must be the rain that Noah was talking about. And all of a sudden, they're all knocking on the door. Let us in. Let us in. We, we believe now. You, you wanted us to go by faith. We believe now. We, we're seeing this rainfall. Too late. And, yeah, that's just it. Too late. You missed it. And this will be what happens when the rapture does come. It's being said, the rapture's coming, the rapture's coming, Jesus is coming, and there will come a time when the church is taken out and it'll be too late for those who don't believe or did not believe because all of a sudden they're going to go, oh, no. You know, they were right. This was going to happen. And then the only way they can go through is to not take the mark of the beast. And there are people that believe that if they miss, if they knew about the rapture beforehand, that they cannot get saved because God will allow a delusion to come into their mind. And we know the world is going to have all kinds of excuses for what happened. And I believe one of the big excuses is there, Satan is going to put some kind of flying saucer above us and say, look at that, it's these aliens that brought... You know, took all these irrit irritating Christians out of our midst. I believe it'll be something of that nature. I believe that's why we're seeing so much UFOs and abduction stories. Oh, yeah. So that people will believe this when, it, you know, when, when we disappear. They always will believe natural reasons. All right? It's just the way people are. Can you give me any natural reason, no matter how far-fetched it is, even taking evolution, which is impossible to happen scientifically, violates every scientific logical explanation, yet people will look at it and, and every smart person out there that is against creation, somewhere in their writings and speaking have said something similar. We know that evolution has problems, but we cannot accept the alternative. What's the alternative? God created everything. Because if God created everything, then God can make rules that they have to live by. And if they, they don't want to believe that there is a God who creates rules so that they have to live by those rules, so they cannot and will not accept a logical answer of creation. They will go, we'll believe in everything that violates all of science just because. Because we cannot accept the logical and so this is what ends up happening here. 
These people, these children, believe that their idols are going to be what will save them. And then he says, oh, my mountain in the field. And when he says, oh, my mountain, God is speaking. So what is he speaking of? When they say, my mountain, he's speaking of Jerusalem. Or the heavenly mountain. But in this case, it's Jerusalem because he says he's going to give it. He's going to give it to the enemies. And he doesn't give his mountain in heaven to the enemies. Uh, so he says, oh, my mountain in the field, I will give your substance and all your treasures to the spoil and the high places for sin throughout your borders. God says you're going to be taken captive. And again, remember, this includes, oh my mountain, is Jerusalem. In Jerusalem is the temple. And the Jewish people do not believe that the temple can be taken. That is where God lives. It says, I'm going to, I put my name there forever, is what he told Solomon. All right. As long as you obey me, my name will stay there forever. They didn't obey God very long, so it wasn't going to forever ended up being very short because of their disobedience. But they kept believing that God's temple is here. He will never let this city fall. And even in Jesus' day, they were believing the same thing. The temples up there on the mountain, on the mountain of God, it will never fall because this is his temple. They'd forgotten that Nebuchadnezzar, did, you know, they, they said the same thing. And in 70 AD, that temple fell and was destroyed because of their disobedience. So over and over again, and we just see how short people's memories are. And it's just amazing to me how people do not remember things. You know, serious things like sin, dumb decisions of our politicians, and then we put the same dumb people in office because we forget about what they did a year before the elections. And, you know, they say all the right things for the year before the election, and we vote for them because we don't remember that we didn't like anything that they actually did. And forget that the sins were judged. Forget what God says. And this is why God keeps saying, remember. Remember what I have done. Remember my truths. Remember the judgments. Remember, 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 remember. And we so often do not remember. And I love the statement that I heard as Christians. We, we usually remember the things we're supposed to forget and forget the things we're supposed to remember. And it really is true. We remember our sins and shortcomings which are under the blood and we don't remember the grace and mercy of God and who we are in Christ. We remember all the bad, the things we're not supposed to remember and we forget all the good, who we are in Christ, all the, all the benefits that we have. And we need to be very careful about that. And it's easy to do because we get caught up in all the stuff that seems to be bad. And, you know, and I try very carefully to say seems to be bad because God says that he, all things work together for good for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. That means somehow everything that happens to us is for good. Maybe not that we can understand. We might not understand until we get to heaven. But God has a plan for everything that happens to us. And it might not necessarily be for our good, but it'll be good for the kingdom of God. It, and that's important for us to understand. For good. 
And that means I may be suffering so that others watch me and, and see my faithfulness. And that's hard to take. Because when I'm in the middle of that, I want to say, God, I don't understand how this can be for my good. And God says, it wasn't for your good. I'm going to reward you in heaven because of it, because of your faithfulness. But it was for all these people watching you to see you stay faithful. And you're encouraging them. And, you're, and, you're, and they're getting built up because you are faithful in service. And you're learning something. And if we really think about it, every time we go through something, we learn something. We learn something about ourselves. We learn something about God's love and his mercy and his care. We're going through the book of Job. Job is going to find out that God loves him in spite of taking away him losing everything. That God still cares for him and has a plan for him. And he doesn't know that at the end he's going to get twice of as much as was taken away from him. But he knows during the middle of it, it's hard. And we need to be able to understand the same thing. God's got a plan. It may be to teach us that we don't have the right understanding for him. It may be that we don't believe right, and he's trying to correct the way we think. And this is hard to take. Because depending on how stubborn we are, depends on how hard God has to work against us. And I'm a pretty stubborn person, so when God has to come and teach me a lesson, he pretty much pulls the carpet out from under me and turns my life upside down and shakes it a little bit. And even then, I don't listen, listen very well at times. Now, I've gotten better after 52 years, but I'm not quite as slow and dense and, and stupid about these things, but I still am pretty stubborn. So we need to be careful about this. And it says in verse 4, And you, even yourself, shall discontinue from your heritage that I gave you, or fall away or drop from your heritage, and I will cause you to serve your enemies in the land that you know not. For you have kindled my fire, the fire of, of my anger, which shall burn forever. So he says, you've made, you've, the fire has been started in my anger, and you are going to go into captivity in a land that you do not know. We know that, you know, because we know the history of this, they went into captivity to Nebuchadnezzar. The next generation is going to go into captivity to the Romans. And the last generation that is, that is in the tribulation period, well, technically go into captivity with the millennial kingdom with God. So good captivity. Good, good king to have captivity to. So over and over again, he goes, you're going to have this captivity. You're going to be put under the rule of somebody else. And over and over again, this has happened to people. Nebuchadnezzar in the Babylonian Empire, Caesar in the Roman Empire. So we see this whole process that you shall, and my, per, my anger shall burn forever. Now, God has mercy. He has grace. But there is a point where God says, enough is enough. Now, it's taken him a long time. Josiah bought a few years with his obedience. But even in Josiah's day, he says, your father was so bad that even as good as you are, I'm not going to put away the judgment. But he did buy some time. He bought another 20, 30 years after his death of God plus his time of non-judgment falling. So he did create it. And this is, 
this is where I'm hoping. I would love to see a great revival in our world to buy 30, 40, 50 years. Do I expect it? Not particularly, but I, it can happen because, every, like I've said before, every generation that has had a great revival would have said, we don't deserve it. Thank God, God doesn't give us what we deserve when he sends a revival. He sends grace. And so we could see a great revival come into this world. If we get it, great. If we don't, wonderful. We get to get raptured and go home. Now, the only problem is before the rapture happens, there's probably going to be some very hard times even for us in America. And remember, the rest of the world is already suffering. There are places in the world, we have millions of Christians being killed every year that we don't hear about. Unless you start reading things like uh, Voice of the Martyrs and some other places to go, you never hear about all the Christians that are being martyred every year. And because they never hit the news. The news never reports them. Because uh, they don't really care. Christians died. Well, who cares? You know, that's their attitude of the media. But there are millions that are dying every year. More than died in the entire persecuted persecution of the first century that we know a lot about. And so we see this happening and it's so quiet. But it is coming. I really believe that it's coming to America and it might, it's going to start with us being jailed and losing our rights and then being jailed and then eventually being executed. Uh, and will that happen before the tribulation? I believe it will. I believe Christians in America will be losing their life for their Christianity before Jesus comes. So we can watch this and we can see the anger of the world in America. If you read the little comments after something about Christianity, you listen to what people say, you read some of the news articles. Uh, you know, just recently they had a sub subdivision of the Supreme Court said that it's illegal to, for Christians to pray in public at some big rally against, against something. And so they're going, well, you can't do this. You know, I don't know what constitution that, that judge was reading, but wasn't the constitution of the United States. So I'm sure that will be overturned when it goes to the whole, the whole, whole uh, Supreme Court. But it's just, this is where we're at. The world is turning against God and his ways, just as they were during Jeremiah's time as he taught. If you know history, what has happened is happening. And I'm just amazed, you know, that they call the ones that want to protect rights fascist. And the fascist is the one that wants to take rights away. So the ones that are calling us fascist are the fascist. You know, and it's just amazing to me. But it all has to happen. That's how things fall apart. That's how the end will come about. That they marginalize us. They, they make us second-class citizens. And then the next part will be to move us into ghettos and to separate us and to put us into re-education camps and everything because we need to be retrained on how to think. You know, I don't know how much of that happened in this area, but probably it was very much the same thing even in there. You guys actually believe in the Bible? <laughs> get, get, get out of our face. Get out of our sight. You know, you believe in what Jeremiah is saying? Uh, yeah, you're one of those nuts. <laughs> you know, uh, you don't belong in you don't belong in civilized you know economy you know economy and you know we believe what we want to believe and we want to believe in these gods and you believe in one God, so the same things going on, same process going on, 
And this is where we come back to Ecclesiastes. There's nothing new under the sun. Everything that we're going through now has happened in the past. Everything that's happened in the past happened before that. Satan has the same lies that he's used over and over and over again. Why? Because human billions are gullible to the same argument. Now, and it's, you, know, you would think we might learn eventually, <laughs> but we, we seem to not be willing to learn the arguments that he uses with us. He just changes a few of the names, a few of the words, and they're exactly the same argument. I look sometimes at things, I'm going, wow, this is the same, you know, what we're going through right now is Eastern mysticism, even though we're calling it other things, it's the whole Eastern mysticism way that was, that was going on before, was going on in the first century under the name Gnosticism, which was the same thing going on during during this time of uh, Jeremiah, which was going on all the way back to the Tower of Babel, you know, the same things, the same lies, the same organization, they just changed a few of the words, a few of the names, and it's amazing that it still goes on. We're still worshiping the same gods, the power god, the sex god, the entertainment god, we're still worshiping the same gods, we just don't have statues of them anymore. But we still bow down to them, offer, offer our our time, our money, our, our children in some cases, our families, our, you know, uh, whatever it might be, we're still worshiping the same gods. Now, we don't necessarily put this name on them, but it's still the same thing. And we just don't learn. And part of it is people don't speak against it. You know, they don't speak against it. They don't name it off. But we're still following every god that's been out there forever. So we want to be careful about that. Verse 5 says, Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusts in man and makes flesh his arm, and whose heart departs from the Lord. For he shall be like the hearth in the desert, and shall not see when good comes, but shall inherit, inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, in a salt land, and not inhabited. Blessed is the man that trusts in the Lord and whose hope is the, the Lord is. For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters that spreads out her roots by the river and shall not see when he comes, but her leaf shall be green and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from, the, from yielding fruit. So here is God's comparison. All right? He says, cursed is the man that trusts in man. I've got it. I've got my own self taken care of. I trust in my dad, my mom, the, the government, whatever. He's not trusting in God. He's trusting in earthly, physical things, whose strength is in, who makes the flesh his arm, and whose heart departs or turns away from God. That is most everybody that doesn't know God. It's, how many people do we know that are living in this type of thing? Uh, and this is something we need to be very careful because I have met Christians that they put their trust in the government rather than God. They put their, their faith in their company. A lot of people put their faith in the company. You know, the company's going to take care of me. No, my hope and trust is in God. I have to trust in God because nothing else is going to hold up. All right? And he says, those people shall be like a hearth or a desolate place in the desert. So when you trust God, you're living in an empty, dry place. 
All right. Uh, empty, dry place. When you don't trust God. Huh? You said when you trust God. When, no, no, when you trust in, trust in the flesh, trust people. Flesh. Yeah, the cursed. Can we remember when we, before we got saved, how everything seemed dry and depressed and, and, no, and no power? We, everything seemed destitute, desolate. No matter how much successful we were, nothing filled that spot. And it says, um, and he shall not see when good comes, shall not perceive. And, and this is something that I have noticed with people. Good things happening to them, and yet they will not see the good because they're waiting for the next bad thing to happen. And even if something good does happen, they're just waiting, well, yeah, something good ha- seemed to have happened, but I am just waiting for the rug, rug to be pulled out of from under me again. Uh, and I've seen so many people that are dwelling on all the bad things. You know, uh, bad things come in threes, but you know, you know, nothing but bad coming my way. Well, what about when this, well, that wasn't good enough to make me forget about the bad. What about that, well, that wasn't good enough either. Uh, and you're going, you don't even see when you're blessed. And this is something even as Christians we need to be careful of. Are we looking at what God has done to bless us? What has God done to bless us? And it is easy even for us as Christians to not look at God, but to look at our own strength and hope that the world is going to support us and do well. And when we're doing that, we're not working in the right place. And his heart depends, uh, leaves God. They don't see the good coming. They shall inhabit a parched place or a dry place again in the wilderness and in a salt land that, and not inhabited. What does salt do? It makes us thirstier. So we live in a place where we're getting even more thirsty for seeing what God's going to do, but you're not looking to God to get the answers. And we're getting thirstier and thirstier and thirstier without looking to the living water. And Jesus said, I am the water. You hear everyone that comes and, and come by and drink. You know, the woman at the well, if you knew who I was, you would ask me for the living water that doesn't, that doesn't end. Uh, Isaiah said, you know, if you're thirsty, come by and drink, you know, of God. Jeremiah saying, you're so thirsty, you're, you're, you're living in a place where you're even getting thirsty and you're still not willing to follow God because you're dependent upon man. And God just tries to get us thirstier and thirstier and thirstier, hoping that we'll turn to the living water. Now, the, comp- the opposite side of this is, blessed is the man that trust places his confidence in God. All right? Having confidence in God. Blessed is the man that trusts in the Lord whose hope or whose confidence is in the Lord. And this is the important thing for us. Where is our hope? Where is our confidence? And I've seen this over and over again with people I've seen retired people that aren't trusting God, aren't willing to trust God. They're taught their, their confidence is in their Social Security. Their confidence is in their 401K. Their confidence is in whatever and everything and not saying, I trust God. Now, granted, I'm glad for those things. I'm looking forward to having those things when I retire. But my confidence is in God. If God wants to take away all of those things and make me trust in Him completely... 
he will take care of me. That's his promise. I may not have the lifestyle I would like, but I would have the lifestyle that he says, I will give you a place. I will help you get through all of this. And so we are blessed and whose hope is in the Lord. Have, again, like confidence is in the Lord. And this whole idea here is that all of what I want is in God. And I trust him. And that's a beautiful place. Is my hope and trust in God? My anchor holds within the veil. God is my anchor. Do I have, and if, it, if God is my anchor, it's a sure anchor. And, you know, we look at this. I don't know how many of you know anything about sailing, but you put in the, an anchor on both sides so that you do not float, float away. All right? And when you're in a boat, you put, in, put an anchor down, and you, there's more than one anchor to keep you from spinning around in a circle or, or floating out to, to, to sea. And God, and God is our anchor. He holds us tight where we're at. And this is very important because our hope needs to be in him. And I hope everybody that listens to my voice, his, their hope is in him. And that will keep us. Because if my hope is anywhere else, I am going to be disappointed. If my hope is in my job, I'm going to be disappointed because I could lose my job at any moment. If my hope is in my 401k, eventually the economy is going to fall apart. All right? We're already told in, that in the end days that the total economy will fall apart. Now, historically, the market has always gone up. So until we have a total collapse of the economy, it's a good place to have our money. But there's coming a day when it is, go, it is all going to fall apart and it won't matter. The scriptures tell us that you know, instead of a bag of gold buying bread, it says a, a, a loaf of bread will buy the bag of gold. So what is more valuable in that case? Bread, food. You know, and I'm, I don't know how many people are going to want to spend, you know, spend their, their loaf of bread for a bag of gold because you can't eat the gold. And you're very hungry. If that is what the case, you're being very hungry. And it's very amazing that many a politician has gotten into office because they promised food during a hard time. Hitler won 80% of the vote to be chancellor by promising people a loaf of bread every day. And they're going, sounds good to me, because we can't get bread. We'll, as long as he can keep it, we'll vote for you. And 80% of the people voted for him. And then, of course, he turned around and became a terrible dictator. But this happens over and over again. Where is your hope? Who is, who is your hope in? And so he says, I am your hope. And he goes, those people will be like a tree planted by waters that spreads out their roots by the, by the river. All right? The river of God's word, the river of truth. And we spread our roots out deep into his word. And the deeper our roots go into God, the better off we're going to be. And he says, because their roots are spread out and there are, I love this, they shall not see when the heat comes. I like this idea. When bad things happen to the Christian whose roots are in God, they don't notice when the hard times come. But the picture is when hard times come, that tree does not notice it. 
because it's it's worded it is rooted into such a way that it is drying water and we see it here in the desert a lot if a tree has been out there for a long time their roots are very deep they've tapped into some water supply and everything else is dying and, and wilting away and it is nice and green and saying okay it's drought who cares I've got I've got roots that are so deep if our root is deep in God we don't recognize when hard times come because our root system is into God so when the trials when the hard times come you know we can almost say what what hard times and so he says not only that but her but her leaves shall be green and shall not be careful in the year of drought so that tree that's planted deep has its roots won't even care if it's a long drought and we see it if you've gone around the desert area when everything is not green and you see these trees that have been there for for 10 20 30 years and they're still green how are they green they have tapped into some water supply their root is deep enough that they have tapped into a water supply down before or have enough roots all over the place to draw every bit of water and this is what he's talking about if we are in there trusting him our root system will be tapped into the living water and we won't notice that it's hot we won't notice even if it's a long-term drought in our life now I understand that that's hard believe me I understand it's hard it's hard to go through short terms but I've understood that one because there's many times I've said well I haven't had many trials and I've had people laugh at me because they see it from a different point of view I see it that God has been my hope my strength and and I just walk through them without thinking about it because I'm not even noticing it because in not every case but in many cases I'm not even noticing that I went through something hard because my roots are deep and I trust God now he is giving me some things that have shaken me <laughs> where I have noticed that hey it got a little bit hot <laughs> it got a little bit of dry and usually that is because I have not been in God's Word I have not been praying I have not been in touch with the, the living word and all of a sudden life gets shook up in uh, this God is saying those who are inside me those who are trusting me will not notice these things this, this is the story of Job. When Job first got hit with the trials, he pretty much goes, okay, well, I don't understand this. I've lost everything, but God gave, God took away. When he lost, lost his health, that was a little harder for him. And he even did fairly good on that way until his friends came in and, and started harassing him about it. Uh, but he was a little depressed because, remember, he spoke first. He says, I wish I was dead. Wish I was never, not even, not even I wish I was dead. I wish I had never been born. That's how miserable I am. So he was pretty, pretty down in the dumps at that point. He was not fully attached to God at that point, And he had really had more than he could handle. And that is when he needed friends to be able to say, Job, we love you. We're, gonna, we're standing by your side. We want to encourage you to remember that God loves you unfortunately that is not the message that they gave him all right and this is something we need to be careful about how do we approach somebody that's having a hard time well what did you do wrong we know you had to do something wrong because your whole life's been turned upside down by God or I'm praying for you I don't know why any of this is happening but I am praying for you let's 
Let's help you get back into fellowship and relationship with God. Let's keep you in relationship with God, whatever the term might be that you'll use. Let's just bring you back. I've got, I've got your back. You know, I've got your back. Cry with them, weep with them, and lift them up. Encourage them to stay strong with God. And all of that's important. Now, they may not be in the mood to hear it. All right? And I've said this, you know, I believe in Romans 8.28. If somebody reminds me about Romans 8.28 when I'm having a hard time and, and, and suffering, I'm probably going to say, oh, thank you, I needed to remember that. But when I was younger, I gave that to somebody who was going through a hard time and just about had my head removed. You know, they did not really believe it. They did not understand it. They did not care. So I learned a long time ago, don't use Romans 8.28 to encourage somebody when they're in a bad spot, unless they have expressed that they believe it <laughs> before that. Because if they don't, and this is the thing, if you don't believe something before the issue, you're not going to believe it when you're in the middle. If you don't believe Romans 8.28, for all things work together for good for those who love God and called according to his purpose, if you don't believe it when you go into the problem, you are definitely not going to believe it when you're in the problem. You know, don't tell me all that baloney. I don't want to hear it. I don't believe it. You know, okay, sorry you don't want to believe the word of God. I don't really know how to encourage you. I'm just going to love you and pray for you. All right. Uh, God still loves you. He, nothing, nothing that, you know, nothing happens to you that God didn't. I, I don't want to even hear that. I don't believe that God is in full control because otherwise this would never have happened. And you know, believe me, I've heard it all. Anything that would comfort me will not comfort them if they don't believe it going into the problem. And all of our problems are designed to say, do you truly believe? So the more we believe that God is in control of all things, the more we believe that all things work together for good, the harder the trial will be to say, do you really, 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 really believe what you said you believed? And God will keep giving you the trial. So our reward for passing the test is God gives us a harder trial the next time because he's still trying to teach us to trust him more and to trust him more and to trust him more. And he's preparing us for anything that we're going to walk into. And this is very important. As we get toward the end days and the trials that are going to be coming and the hardships that are coming and the martyrdoms that may be coming, God is saying, here is what I'm doing to get you ready for those hard times. And he always is getting us ready. So that means when he's testing us, each trial has to be harder than the previous one. Now, the good news is because they are progressively harder, it's not like, okay, you became a brand new Christian, you barely believe me, let's see if you're willing to die for me. He doesn't do that to us because we'd fail that test in a heartbeat. All right, I know you're just starting to lift weights and, we're, and we've only been working with, uh, with 25 pound weights now. Here, lift, the, lift this one ton. Uh, uh, yeah, sure. All right, lift, lift 100 pounds. Uh-huh, sure. Now, we don't do that. And we understand that when we're learning to do weights or learning how to play ball or learning how to dance or learning how to run, we understand that we have to start small and work our way up. And yet when we walk with God, somehow we think that we are going to be superstars overnight because we're going, God is with me, God is going to care for me, and he is going to make me superhuman, superman, <laughs> superwoman overnight. God doesn't infringe upon our free will. He teaches us to relinquish. 
And that teaching us to relinquish is a series of trials, sometimes very hard trials. And you know, we need to be very careful because those trials take time. Those trials take work. And they're going to be effort. And if we're not careful, we're going to get kind of bitter about them at times. And we don't know what it is. And this is where we have to stay rooted and found, uh, kept into his word, the living water, and be saying, I am entrusting myself to God, whatever he wants me to do. And we know, I've talked about this many times, all of our heroes in the Bible, why do we remember them? Because they went through something hard successfully. And we just remembered that they were successful, but you know, would we have done the same thing in their place? If we had been Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego standing in the middle of that, that place where everybody's bowing, what would we have done? Probably 80 to 90% of us would have bowed, thinking, well, I can just repent later on. It's not that big a deal. All right? Uh, Daniel, law comes in. You cannot pray to, pray to any of God's. You know, Daniel just kept praying by his window facing the east like he always did. Many of us might have said, well, okay, I'm going to keep praying, but the window is going to be closed and the, the drapes are going to be closed and nobody's going to hear me praying to my God. All right? I'm going to go hide in the corner in the, in the closet and I'm going to pray to God. That wasn't Daniel. You know, over and over again, no matter who we look at, we see this. They stood up against what looked like impossible odds. And that's why we remember them. If they didn't do those things, we'd have never known who they were. Or we'd have heard, you know, we'd have learned about the bad side, and God doesn't necessarily do all these bad, you know, bad things. We get enough of the bad things of people, but not everything. So we never hear about, we'd have never heard about them. You know, and I, and I kind of like it. Well, did you hear about the guy that did this? You know, no, never heard about him. Well, it's because he didn't pass that test. You know, uh, did you hear about the guy who didn't invent the light bulb? <laughs> You know, we all know about Thomas Edison and, and, and Tesla who invite, invented light bulbs, but did you hear about the guys who didn't do it? No, nope, never heard about them. <laughs> because they didn't do it. Did they have opportunities? Probably. Could they have done it? Quite likely. But they didn't do it, so nobody's ever heard about them failing to do it. And this is the thing about us. If we keep failing, we don't depend on God, then we're not going to get that reputation of having done anything great for God. And we need to be able to say, God, help me, number one, see what you want me to do. And then number two, help me have the strength and, the, and the, to walk with you through the hard time. Because all these things, when it's time to stand up for God, we're going to look at it and it's going to be scary. All right? It's going to be scary. It had to be scary for Daniel to pray. Had to be scary for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to not bow in this great big field with hundreds and hundreds of people all bowed down. Had to have been hard for Abraham to say, when God says, go offer Isaac, the son of promise, go, off, go offer him on, a, on an altar. You know, just do it. Had to be hard for Noah to build a boat for 120 years, preaching with nobody listening. Had to be hard for Jeremiah, who was told nobody's going to listen to you, who preached for 50 some years and nobody listened to him and responded. How hard would that be? They had a lot of pain. 
they had the same amount of faith we did, they just acted on it because they were planted in, planted in a way that many of us aren't. You must have been pretty lonely too, because you've got to figure no one would want to be around it after a while. Yeah, you're right. After a while, nobody wants to be around you. And, you, and even for us, how many people sometimes do not want to be around us because we are standing with God and we believe God? How many of your family members, because you've talked about God, don't want you to be around you and don't want to hear you talk about God anymore? Now they're going, oh, no, not you again. You know, would you just shut up about God? I'm tired of hearing about him. And this gets to be a very difficult place because we want them to understand God. We want them to be attached to the, to the living water. We want them to, to respond to God. We want them in heaven and not hell. And, we, and after a while, it's just they get something like, well, we don't want to hear about it. We're, you know, here's that holy roller. Here's that, here's that person who thinks they're better than, I, than we are. Even though we've never said that, we just say we're saved by grace. They're going, you think you're better than me. And all the things that are said. And we're going to get, and it's going to only get worse. As we get further and further away from people understanding that there is truth. This whole generation that we live in, which isn't the first one to get there, that there is no truth. Or truth is in the eye of the beholder. Truth is what the government says it is. All these different, different rules that they have out there, God's truth isn't truth. We'll, we'll tell you what truth is. You know, and it starts with there is no truth, and then you go, well, that doesn't work very well, so we will tell you what truth is. And that's what Hitler did to these people. He, he started telling them what truth is. These Jews, they're terrible people. You know, let me, you know, we, don't, we don't believe there's anything, any, any truth, but these people, oh, they're terrible. They're the, they're the ones carrying germs. They need, they need to be separated from everybody. They're a scourge to the world. They need to be separated from everybody. It's happening again to the Jews already. There's so much anti-Semitism going on, and it's starting, starting to include Christians in that whole thing in this generation. Why? Because we believe in God. And that goes against it. We believe that there's truth and that God is true. And they can't have people that believe in a absolute truth that is true. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And the, and the lost world cannot have us believing that there is a truth and that God tells us what truth is because that's a problem for them. If there is a standard of truth, then, that, then they can't control us. And this is very important for us to know truth. Because when we get into a temptation point of view, if we don't know truth, then we will buy into whatever they say is true. And this is why it is so important to know the scriptures. So that when trials get hard, when times get hard, we have an anchor. We have something to hold on and say, this is what God says. Whether you believe it or don't believe it doesn't matter. Whether I believe it or don't believe it doesn't matter because this is what God says. And there are times when all we do is hold on to, well, God, you said such and such, but I really have a hard time believing it, but I am going to hold on to what you said. When he says that we are saved, whether I feel like I'm saved, whether I don't feel like I'm, I'm saved, if I've committed my life to Jesus Christ and I've accepted my him is my Lord and Savior. I am saved. Doesn't matter whether I feel like it or not. Doesn't matter whether I'm living that way or not. If I have done that, truly believing it, 
then I have eternal life and am saved. So we need to grab hold of his word and say, your word is true, no matter what. And it's going to get harder and harder. As the world gives us all these lies, all these problems, and the problem with their lies and their problems is they sound so logical when they give it to us. You know, if we don't know truth, it, it, it can really shake us up and bring us down the wrong path. And we need to be very careful because it is easy to believe the lies. Very easy to believe the lies and not trust God in what we do if we're not focused in his truth. And very important for us to focus in on his truth. Keep planted in God. Planted in the living water. So that when hard times come, these drought times come, we're going, okay, God, I'm planted in you. You know, it hasn't rained for a long time, I'm planted in you. The whole world is going to hell in a handbasket, I'm planted in you. You know, the government is against me, I'm planted in you. I'm going to the gulag where I'm going to be tortured, I'm planted in you. Oh, there's a, there's a furnace over there that I'm going to, okay, God, I'm going to see you soon. Because <laughs> I'm planted in you. Where is our trust? Where is our hope? Is it in God or is it in things? And this will be tested over and over again. Where, what do we believe? Why do we believe it? And this whole thing that Jeremiah is saying, who, where's your trust? In man or in God? Unfortunately, in our day and age, people's hope is in man themselves primarily, government, others, the welfare system, whatever it might be, my trust is in everything but God. All right? Uh, and we need to, our hope needs to be in God. Does that mean we avoid all other help and everything? No, we just need to know that if it falls apart, God is still in charge. It's him that controls. It's him that directs. And we need to be able to say, this is where my hope is. Lord, we ask you to bless us this day. Help us to walk in your spirit, your guidance. Help us to recognize the appointments you put in our, in our path, the idea that you love us so greatly, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friend, do you know where you'll go after you die? Without the gift of Jesus, it will be an eternity in hell without God. Good works will not get you there. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. To spend eternity with God, we must recognize that we are sinners in need of Christ. For all of sin and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. To be assured eternal life, we simply talk to God, admit you are a sinner, and ask him for his free gift. You must mean the words to, get the, to be answered. Jesus is waiting to hear your request. If you have asked him for eternal life, he has come into you and he will change you. Start reading the book of Ephesians and see what God says about your new life. After you understand the book of Ephesians, you can start reading the Gospel of John. Next, find a good Bible teaching church. Tell the pastor about your decision for God and be taught. If you contact us, we will send you a new believer booklet free of charge. Congratulations and grow in Christ. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by snail mail at P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona 86431. 
We are happy to help with your new life in Christ or even answering Bible questions. Again, congratulations on your decision for Christ.